Welcome to Church Alive Orlando podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and helps to show you how God is moving in your life. And now, here's lead pastor, Mike Coleman. Um, Vision 2020. Um, eight, eight particular parts uh, of that vision. Eight steps to soul winning. We define to you uh, what soul winning is. That it's more than just leading someone to Jesus Christ. That's not winning anything. That, that's putting you in a position to win. You don't win at the starting line. You win at the finish line. So soul winning is not just leading someone to Christ and then uh, walking away from them. That's called abandonment. Uh, you know, we read about these, 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 a lot of times it's young ladies that are just overwhelmed in childbirth. They don't know what to do with their baby. They throw it in a dumpster. We've all heard those horrible stories and how they move on. Well, I like uh, when we lead someone into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and we just walk away from them. I liken it to that. We just kind of have, are leading them to their own devices. We're leading them to their own way. But what the Lord laid on my heart, started laying on my heart almost a month ago now, and this came out of just a, a season and a time of prayer and fasting, which is, um, which is not over yet. I'm kind of on and off of it as the Lord would lead a meal here, a day there, uh, whatever the case may be. But um, these eight things, and we shared them with you last week, um, Soul winning through salvation because of his death, through his death because of his life. Soul winning through baptism and water and of the Holy Spirit to be endued and able and empowered. Soul winning through discipleship, molding and making disciples. Soul winning through mentoring. Teaching accountability, teaching becoming, becoming who you are destined to be in Christ. How many of you believe we have a destiny? Every one of us. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. How many of you believe you are fulfilling your destiny? Okay. All right. Good. Some of you are. Okay. We're going to, those of you that are, we want to reaffirm that. Those of you that are still searching and looking, that doesn't mean you're losing. You're still winning. If you're on the winning team, you're on the winning team, right? I got a dear friend of mine up in Minnesota that played with the Minnesota Vikings. He has a Super Bowl ring from back in the 70s. Guess what? He didn't play one play in the Super Bowl game. But he has the ring. He said, I'm the greatest scam of the 70s. He said, I got my ring just like everyone else. Well, you know what? Maybe you don't feel like you're playing much. Maybe you don't feel like you're contributing. Much. Let me tell you what. You're a part of a winning team. And if you haven't played yet, your day's coming. Your time is coming where the Lord is going to raise you up. So mentoring, accountability, becoming, and covenant. We're going to learn what covenant really is. So winning through discovering spiritual gifts. Mm. Discover, the, learn, and develop, and implement. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you're not using it, guess what? Guess what? How many of you would like to be able to put into practice through this and through these, what you think you know up here. God wants to, you know, even sometimes what we know, God needs to layer it with a revelation. He needs to layer it with a revelation. That's what every revival that comes along, it has a revelation from God and the Holy Spirit to us about what that particular truth means for us now. Okay? So, um, so winning through relationships with one another in our community. Okay? So winning through learning and developing honor. That's
that's the biggie. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. A lot of time on developing a culture of honor in the body of Christ. It may not mean exactly what we always think it means. It may include that, but honor, biblical honor, is so deep and it's so encompassing and it's so far-reaching. Honor with God. Honor with ourselves. So many Christians dishonor themselves in honor, honoring others. Okay, then so winning through breaking generational curses, overcoming patterns of defeat, shame, and condemnation. Defeat, shame, and condemnation. So, so important that we learn these things. Now, a lot of these are going to layer over one another. They're going to kind of come and go. We're not going to go into 2020 with all of these things exactly in place. But as of now, we're launching those. I'm, I'm praying that these times we're going to be on and off of this between now and 2020, that they are things that will become revelation to you for you, for your life. If you need discipleship, God's going to show you that. Um, I always believe I'm needing discipling. That's why I seek out those people that I can receive that from. I, I, I've never, there's never been a time in my spiritual life I was not in mentoring. And after four or five years and Jesus Christ as my Savior being mentored, I also then realized it's time to be a mentor. Paul, Timothy, Barnabas, we all need someone in our life that's older, that's ahead of us, that we can follow. And we all need someone in our life that's younger, that can follow us, that can follow us. And when we have that, when we have that, then we can be rest assured that not only are we following in covenant and accountability, but there's an awesome responsibility when we realize someone is following us in covenant and accountability. But it's very important, it's very liberating, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to have. Now, what I want to share with you this morning in, in keeping with this, and, and here's the thing that we're working towards in this, hope. Everybody say hope. Hope. Again, it's a word we've used so much, the meaning of that word gets lost. We've actually almost turned it into a negative. Well, I hope, I, 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 I hope you have a good time. There, there's an uncertainty in that. Or, you, you, you know, you tell someone something, you affirm something to someone, well, God's going to go before you, God's going to be with you, God's going to watch over you and keep you and prosper you. And they kind of look at you with dead eyes and they say, well, I hope so. Not one thing positive about that. And as Myrna would say when they do that, you just want to throat punch them. It's like, come on, come on. Hope is in no way a negative word. It's a positive word. Let me give you a personal example. 18 years ago, right now, I was on the ground in my second tour at Ground Zero. Uh, I pulled a total of 31 days, more than any other federal law enforcement chaplain. Of the 27 federal law enforcement chaplains that work Ground Zero, 17 of us have died. 17. Uh, only two were older than I. We were all thought we were invincible. We thought we were young guns. Um, eight years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. The doctor thought it was directly related to Ground Zero. And the particular cancer that I had, it's, it rages uh, amongst those at Ground Zero. Um, I would not accept that. I would not receive that. Uh, and today I continue to remain 
Twice a year, I get confirmed and checked up. I'm cancer free. <clears throat> 27 federal law enforcement chaplains. Now, let me paint to you a picture of what a federal law enforcement chaplain is. They're just, most of them, preachers. Totally out of their league. You know, you go to the FBI Academy, you get a couple of weeks of training and hostage negotiation and bereavement and, and grief counseling, and they would even have one day of learning how to, to drive a car. That, ooh, that was fun. That was fun. Man, to get out there spinning around, I turned to the guy next to me, I said, it's fun to drive like this with a cop in the car with me. <laughs> and so 27 of us hit the ground. Um, sounds like a lot. It was, we were minuscule. We were a drop in the bucket. Pulled 10 days. Uh, home for a week, pulled 10 days, home for a week, and then pulled 11 days. The maximum any of us were supposed to be there was 14 days. I was there 31. Uh, seven days, rotate out for seven days, rotate back in. So I spent as a chaplain um, more time at Ground Zero. Uh, there were two others that were there as long as I. One of them that spent 40 days because he was, he was, he was a New Yorker. So he pulled that off. Yeah, good people. Man, this guy was tough. He was so funny, man. And I hope this doesn't offend you. He was a, he was a law enforcement chaplain, cussed like a sailor. <laughs> loved Jesus with all of his heart. Can you buy that? I can. This guy loved Jesus, man. And, and uh, one day he said, hey, I'm supposed to pray for you. Come here. And I just like... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so he prayed for me, and man, he had a word and just nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. He nailed it four times in that prayer. And I looked at him, and I said, you know, you, you're a man of God to be such a cusser. <laughs> so he had, he had been a, a career Navy guy and just, and just loved Jesus. How I many of you know people like that? You just, they, you just cannot put them in that box. Well, he was one of those guys, and uh, he's no longer with us. He's no longer with us. 17 of the 27. It's estimated that um, there will be a residual death count of over 90,000 people uh, from the effects of ground zero. One of the things that I still do is like those that have cancer, uh, retired NYPD or disabled and uh, uh, FDNY, Fire Department New York, uh, guys that moved to Florida, I, I'm on a list. Um, to do memorial services or funerals because a lot of them, they want somebody that was there, that understood, somebody that knows. It's very heart-wrenching, very much takes it out of you to do that. But this is what I wanted to say. What I gave you, those eight simple little things that came from the Lord, each of them at different times, um, were from God, and all of them spell hope. When I returned, when I was at Ground Zero the first time, I got there on, on 9-12 uh, in the morning, about 4.30. Walked on, and I had just been there a couple of weeks before and ate at Top of the World on Tower 2. Any of you ever eaten there? Okay. Ate at Top of the World on Tower 2, and, and now I'm standing on this. It was not just, it was a mountain of rubble. And we went, they were put, we were put on, a, everybody was on a bucket brigade. We worked with hope. We worked with the expectation of finding, and, and we did. Uh, not personally, I was, I was uh, 30 yards away at one point in time, uh, actually off the grounds at another time. But um, uh, it was just amazing the, the surge of energy that would flow through that place when someone alive would be found. Um, 
two NYPD officers, an FDNY officer, and one lady were found. That was it. Four people were actually pulled from the rubble alive. When I hit the ground in my second tour, uh, I hit it at midnight, and I walked on, and immediately I could feel the spiritual oppression. Immediately. It was there. It just was overwhelming. I started praying in the spirit because I knew, how many of you know you get in situations, there's no time for games? There's no time for games. I looked in the faces of a lot of those first responders. Um, we as chaplains decided not to even consider ourselves to be that, except for one from New York, because we all came in the next day, or the day following, or the day following. We felt like we had no right to carry that title as a first responder. But I began to look in the faces of these men and women, and they were blank, they were dead. And I began to pray in the spirit because I knew, okay, I gotta, I gotta minister to these people. I got to pray with these people, and a lot of them, a lot of them were federal agents I had met at the Oklahoma City bombing. How many of you remember that? And some of you that were attending the church I pastored at the time, um, you were praying for me when I was in Oklahoma City, and I reconnected, and boy, what a connection it was. How many of you know when you have an emotional connection, it's powerful? It's a very powerful thing. So begin ministering to these guys. I'm praying in the Spirit. God, you've got to show me what's going on here. And, and you know, you could... By now, you can smell the death. You can literally smell it. You can smell, it, it was just, it's, words do not capture it. Um, and I was there about three hours, and I was under the coffee tent, uh, Red Cross coffee tent, and who, by the way, wanted to come in and set up in charge for coffee. You, you ain't lived until you've seen a whole bunch of chaplains get mad. Oh, we, 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 were, we were brutal. Is that okay? <laughs> Is that okay? We said, if we have to pay for this ourselves, we'll do it. We, we're not letting, how can you charge someone like that? And I'm standing there drinking coffee, talking to a guy. He walks away, and immediately a Holy Spirit said, there's no hope. That was the difference. That first 10 days, there was hope. There was expectation. There was, you know, against all hope, actually. There's a miracle here. There's a miracle. That second tour I went into, now being away for seven days and then going back into it, I could see it maybe a little differently than those that had been on the ground that whole time. I could see it differently. And God just really spoke to me. There's no hope. That's why the heaviness hangs. Even in the daytime, the only way I can explain it, and I, I read back in my journal, I kept a very a detailed journal during that time of, of what I was experiencing because I knew it was very historical. Is there was even in the daytime a darkness. There was a darkness in the day. And a heaviness. You could, you could feel it. You could sense it. You knew it. And I knew that that spiritual situation 
was affecting everyone on the ground in so many different ways. It was affecting some emotionally. They were breaking down and crying. That's where I came in and the other chaplains. That was our job. It was affecting them physically. Uh, we didn't know at the time all the toxicities that were in the air. Um, but it began to affect them physically. People were throwing up. They were throwing up blood. It was, it was horrible. Um, the dogs were walking around. Their, their, their little paws just shredded. Um, halfway into that second tour, I saw a guy set up at the table with leather. Just bam, bam. And he was making booties for the dogs to wear. All the dogs are gone now. There were over 100 dogs on site. They're all dead. Of course, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? So we began to pray. We, we saw this hopelessness manifesting across. Were any of you ever at the Twin Towers before it fell? How huge that complex is? Have any of you been to the museum? Uh, you know, okay. I can't describe to you how huge that site of destruction and desolation was. It was, and to stand on it, um, it was eerie. It was, it was almost a spiritual experience. And you look around and everything that's being manifested, guys over here on a bucket brigade, and all of a sudden, they, two of them, they took their buckets and just started whamming the daylights out of one another. <laughs> and it's, you know why. I mean, just, they were raw. They were exhausted. They were tired. They were hopeless. Second day, they came to me and said, we, we want you at the border. What was the border? It was the fence. And all the family was on the other side. That's where the pictures were hooked to the chain link fence. That's where the family stood looking like this. And we need you at the border. We need you to, to, to help and counsel these families and pray with these families. I said, of course, that's part of what we were doing. So I went to the border, and that totally redefined the hopelessness. It took heaviness to a whole new level. It took the desperation to a whole new level. There were mamas standing there and fathers standing there. And there were husbands standing there and wives standing there. But what tore me up was the little children. Hoping, looking. I shouldn't say hoping because that was gone. They were just standing there with that same blank look, that dead face. And we began to minister to them. Some would weep, some would cry, some would say thank you, some would grow very angry. I can't tell you the times I was cursed out. You know, how dare you and your God even think you have the right to approach me. And that's okay, because we know where all that was coming from. That's okay, it's no problem, no problem. I had somebody threw a rock at me, I don't know who did that. <laughs> or a chunk of something was thrown at me and it hit my shoulder. Well, it hurt, but... Um, Thank God it didn't hit me in the head. Well, as hard as my head is, that's probably where it should have hit me. But um, I walked on down the line at the border. All of a sudden, I heard, uh, thank you, Jesus. And I look around. It's like, I need to find out where that is. I need that. And so I started walking 
the border. I started walking the fence. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And I saw a little black lady about this tall and about that wide. And she was standing there. She had her fingers in that fence. She went, thank you, Jesus. And she let go of the fence and raised her hands and said, I said, thank you, Lord. And I went up to her. I said, what's going on with you? She said, my son's a NYPD police officer, and he's in there somewhere. I said, well, what are you thanking Jesus for? My loaded question. She said, because I know he's in heaven with his daddy and with his baby sister. And she went, you ever seen black people do that? She had that. And she went, thank you, Jesus. I said, say that one more time. And she started saying, I'm going to say it with you. And we both went, thank you, Jesus. You know, but this, I don't care what people think. And you know what happened? A couple other people come over. Another little black lady come over there and, and, a, and, a, and a rabbi with a keep on. And he went, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and I'm saying, I'm thinking, and I looked at her and I said, we're about to have revival. He's, he's, a, he's, he's a Jewish guy. You know, he's a rabbi. A little keep on. He was working, he was working the border on the other side. And uh, before it was over, there were probably, I kid you not, 300 people standing there. And she turned around. Mama started preaching. Okay? Mama started preaching. She said, I'm not going to let no terrorist tell me how to serve my Jesus. I'm not going to let no terrorist tell me how to worship my God. I'm not going to let no terrorist tell me how I'm going to feel standing here. I'm not going to let no terrorist take my joy from me. And that place started to ripple. It, it was a move. You, you know what a move, literally a move of God is a move. And it's like just wind on the wheat. It started doing this, and I'm just standing there, and I back up, my, my radio started chattering. And it was one of the guys on the tent, he said, chaplain, he said, yeah, he said, What's going on? I said, oh, we're having church. He said, church? I said, we're having church. You need to come up here and join us. He said, are they protesting? I said, oh, God, no, they're having church. He said, well, you sound excited. I said, get on your golf cart and come up here. This guy was cantankerous. He was mean. And he got on his golf cart and he come up there. And he was just standing back. And I, I motioned for him to come up. He went, just like that. I said, you need to get up here. I said, these people need to see you up here. Finally, he stood up there begrudgingly, his arms crossed like this. And then he kind of looked at me, and he looked at them. He watched Mama. Mama's still preaching. I ain't about to interrupt Mama. And he got to looking at the people who looked at me. He said, something's happening here. I said, it is. He said, what is it? I said, it's a little mama with her son in that pile of dirt out there. 
decided she was going to get her hope back. And he went, really? I said, yeah. I said, you've got a church? He said, I hadn't been to church since I was a little boy. This guy's probably 50, 60 years old. He said, I haven't been to church. He said, I've never seen anything like this. I said, well, maybe it's time for you to join in. Now, in this sermon, about every half a minute or so, Mama would start and go, thank you, Jesus. And guess what everybody else started doing? It was like a wave at the football game. Thank you, Jesus. 300 people. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Guess what old Krusty started doing? Old Brouchy Krusty. I looked over at him and he went, thank you, Jesus. He looked at me and he said, it's like he came to me. He said, don't you tell anybody I did that. <laughs> Got on his golf cart and left. That spread. It spread. That rejoicing spread. He said, chaplain, what can I do? I said, you can be back here tomorrow at the same place. She said, I'll be here at 7 a.m. I said, I'll bring you a cup of coffee. She said, oh, thank you. And I said, I'll bring you a donut. What kind of donut do you like? She said, I like them things called bear claws. She said, can I have two? <laughs> I said, you can, I said, I'll order you a steak dinner if you want me to. You can have two. I brought her three. <laughs> Wrapped up a little bag and a cup of coffee. That joy began to spread. Now, there were some people who were very offended by it, so they went as far down to the end as they could as far as they were allowed to go, and there was another barrier that was there. And they just, they just wanted to wallow in their, their heartache, which was very real. They didn't want anyone to interrupt what they thought was respectful grieving. But you know what hope does? Hope sets a value. And it sets new meaning on everything in our life. Every experience in our life. Everything in our life that we face. Hope does that. And she said, chaplain, all the way down here, I didn't know what I was going to do. She said, I knew my baby was in there. She said, I, 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 I spent the night in his room, in his bed. She said, I, I laid there most of the night just grieving and crying. I said, well, you have that right. You're a mama. And she said, I didn't know what to do till I got to the battleground. Did you hear that? I didn't know what to do until I got to the battleground. And she said, and I'm standing there, and she said, the Lord just told me to praise him, to thank him. And she said, I so resisted it, I just dug my fingers into that chain link fence and held on. It's like, Jesus, I can't do this to these other people. They're going to think I'm crazy. Then she said, wait a minute, I am crazy. I've lost my son. My whole world has fallen apart. Everything I knew is no more. My boy, I'll never hug him and hold him again. She said, and the Holy Ghost told me, oh, yes, you will. <laughs> and she said, and about the time I kind of opened my eyes, she said, I saw you coming up out of the corner. She said, and you had all them badges and IDs around your neck. We, had, we, had to wear, we wore four badges, four IDs different IDs to give us access to different parts. And she said, nobody had to tell me 
She said, at first I wondered if you were just the police to come over there to make sure I was okay. She said, but God said, that's a man of God. And you can be who I've told you to be around him. And she said, that's when I let go and I started praising Jesus. I told her, I said, you know what? God was in that because your voice carried loud. She said, oh, I'm loud. I said, no, I'm, I'm telling you, it's like you had a microphone. You're everybody heard you every morning at 7 o'clock she was there and I brought her three bear cloths and a cup of coffee and every morning she had church and every morning and some of the same people would gather probably 50 60 of the same people every morning at 7 o'clock she'd stay all day ministering and praying I tried to get her access to the inside and I said wait a minute she don't need to be in here she needs to be out there and uh, I got her a little hard hat. It was funny. Make her look official. <laughs> she put that on and wore it around. And she constantly, she did more on that side of the fence than we did on our side of the fence. Because God used her to do what? To speak hope to the hopeless. Now, what is hope? It's not, well, I hope so. You ever hear that? Does that just make you want to just go wacky doodle? Well, I hope so. You ever give somebody a word? Well, I hope so. Now, hope is powerful. It's anointed. It's vibrant. It's aggressive. <coughs> you need it in your tool chest, and you need it on your gun belt. You need hope. It needs to be there so that you can be used of God. As we begin to close out this year, can you believe this is the last Sunday of September? We now go into Halloween month, then we go into Thanksgiving month, then we go into Christmas month, and it all starts all over again. Here we are. Hope. How much is hope a driving factor in your life? You know what hope did for that mama? Her boy was still dead. He was still gone. That bedroom was still empty. But you know what happened? Like a big oak that falls and leaves a hole in the ground that soon brackish water and little bugs feel. In her, there was a hopelessness that tried to find residence in her life. And it did. It did. For a while. But God moved in with hope. This is the greatest thing that I see hope doing. It heals. Hope heals. It heals your hurts. Hope will heal your problems. Hope will heal your disease. Hope will heal your family. Hope will heal your children. What do you mean healing? Causing that thing or that person or that situation. Some of you, your circumstances need to be healed. When it says by your stri his stripes we're healed, that's not just talking about your physical body. That's talking about everything in your life that has disorder. We, we, had a, we had dinner the other night. Patty and I did with some, some dear friends. And one of these guys, he's, he's one of the leading, probably in the top five. People literally come from all over the world to his practice and he deals with DNA and telomeres, and he deals with, with um, 
everything that goes wrong in our bodies. And, and he said, you know, that's all cancer is, is disorder. It's disorder. He said, every disease has a disorder. That's what causes it. And he said, when we bring order, he said, it's healing. And I went, bam. And all that 9-11 story came back <coughs> about what God had done to that little mother. So some of you, by stripes you're healed. You need a physical healing. Some of you need a spiritual healing. Some of you need a marriage healing. Some of you need a relationship healing with your children. You need all these different things. You need a healing of your circumstances. And it ties into everything. It's one of the reasons we have some of the difficulties and challenges with our circumstances that they don't seem to get any better is the generational curses we're going to be talking about. I've asked Pastor Steve to help me with that one. You're going to help me with that one, brother. We're going to declare that together. Some of the rest of you that you've had experiences in these areas and you talk, we're, you know, this is not a win-man show. It's just not my voice to be heard. It's the voice of God through you as well. Pastor Harris, and it's no accident, Pastor Brad is here today, a man of God, he and his wife. He's a, he's a prophet of the Lord, and I love this man and what he declares in the name of Jesus. I want to leave you with a scripture, Proverbs 29, one of our takeaway scriptures for 2020. He who wins souls is wise, both in Proverbs and Proverbs 29:18. In the King James, where there is no vision, people perish. Who, who, has, who has that in a different translation? I know the wording's different in every one of them. Dan, what you got there, brother? Proverbs 29:18. Who, who's got it in a different translation other than King James? Anyone? Cast off restraint. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyone here says something? The reason I use King James is like the common denominator on Sunday morning. It kind of brings all the different... Judy. Okay. Anyone else? What does it say? this, seeing things the way God sees it. I'll be honest, I don't look at my circumstances. I don't see my circumstances the way God sees them. That's why my vision constantly has to be tuned. Sometimes we have to put on spiritual eyeglasses. My eyes are weird. My, the prescription from one of my eyes to the other is so different because this eye socket was crushed in a plane crash, so it's, it's all different. <laughs> So I, I see things different out of this eye. I can see, I have x-ray vision over here, so be, be nice. Hope. Where there is no vision. This is what I want you to see. Perish. Do a little word study here in closing. Para is the Hebrew word. Para is the Hebrew word. It's when a woman's hair was allowed to flow with no covering. Coverings were big for women. It wasn't an oppressive thing. It was a cultural thing. Unconstrained in the wind, her hair would blow in all directions. 
Where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is a vision, people live. So that perishing there, it's the process of unconstrained. It's a process of just going in all kinds of different directions with no real destination ever being met. You know people like that in business or spiritually, man, they're here, then they run over here, then they go there, and they're always chasing the latest, greatest, and the biggest bonfire and the, the you know, <coughs> whatever the biggest circus in town is, we're going to go to it. And I know there's a hunger and there's a thirst for the things of God. But here, here's also what I want you to see. They just jump from one thing to another to another, from one job to another, from one idea to another, from one theology to another, from here to there to everywhere. They're unconstrained. And what happens is they're dying inside because they never reach a goal. They never reach an end. They never have or witness a victory in their life. They're like that hair. Now, here's something else that's a biblical nugget in this and something they understood in biblical times. Wind. Wind in the Bible always speaks of adversity. Now, wait a minute. What about when there was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind? What was more, what brought more adversity than the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? We'll be talking about that when we get to some of this. So, that's just a word picture. That's just a word picture of the Hebrew. That's, that's what it means in the Bible. Parah. Parah. It gives deeper meanings that we won't go into. How much are you led by the Spirit? And how much are you driven by adversity? Are you where you are right now? Because you've been led by the Spirit to be where you're at, to be at that place in that point. Are you there? Am I where I'm at because I've been led by the Spirit? Are you where you're at because you've been led by the Spirit? Or has the wind of adversity, is it just taking us all over the place? Hoping if we hit enough places, we'll eventually hit on something that's right. Well, blindfold me, hand me a gun, and sooner or later, I hope I'll hit the target. You may take out a whole bunch of innocent people, too. You know, and we're, we're, we're doing this. We're doing this. We're not living. We're dying. We're hoping. That kind of negative hope. So, Father, right now, pray in the name of Jesus that there would be a vision. There would be constraint. There would be order. There would be direction. There would be destiny. There would be a plan. There would be a path of soul winning for every one of us. God, whether we're winning the eternal soul of a family member or friend, or whether we're winning the soul of our marriage, the soul of our family as a whole, God, Father, help us to get to the starting line. And quit being blown about, God. The enemy just wants to blow us around so much that we never make it to the starting line. And if we do and the gun sounds and we take off, we're just wandering around out there hoping we're going to stumble across the finish line. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me, please?